Everybody, it is Comics on Infinite Earths. We took a small break for the summer, and uh, we're back. Uh, last episode was about the Blade trilogy. We said we're going to discuss the Ghost Rider comics. It took us a lot longer to get that together than I thought it would. Um, part of it's because I, I, I read very slow sometimes. Sometimes I burn through it, and that's usually if I'm not interested. Uh, I'm your host, Michael. Jacob's on the other side. Hey, what's everybody? Dude, I had to like burn like hellfire to get through these books. <laughs> There's a lot of them, but I enjoyed each and every one of them. I, didn't uh, I mean, some I went back to read. I loved it. So some of you might notice that I rerun episodes, and we just did the 70s horror comics episode. This one is about the 90s Marvel line. It seemed like DC kind of ignored, with the exception of a few small things they embraced. Uh, it seemed to be mostly independent comics that really blew up with horror com- you know, horror storylines. And uh, uh, Marvel had a comeback for a few years and uh jacob was really interested and he pitched this actually like two years ago i feel like where we're talking about man it's been a long day of work my voice is scratchy where's that velvety smooth voice that i always have <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just like an old record player but still it has that great beautiful sound yeah like when you're listening to jackie wilson sing uh, lonely teardrops are to be loved the uh, so you mentioned quite a while ago. Let's do the whole Midnight Suns storyline. And uh, looking around for those, I also ran across stuff I'd completely forgotten. And you may not even know any of these. But uh, horror comics kind of faded away. In fact, horror movies faded away for a short period of time. Um, Eighty nine was the big crash of horror movies, where Halloween five, um, Nightmare on Elm Street five, Jason oh, eight, all tanked. And that was pretty much the it. We had Candyman and a couple other small ones, but for the most part, horror died until Scream came out. And all of a sudden, everybody was horror crazy again. But... Oh, yes. Well, it's always fits and waves. I mean, horror comics from Marvel died in the early 80s. They just completely stopped. And uh, it wasn't until 90 when they relaunched Ghost Rider and kind of came out of nowhere and became a huge hit is when they start going into the extreme era, the darker era. A lot of people really hate this era. Um, I don't mind it. I, the only thing I hated was the fact it was constantly like, well, we have 24 covers, and they're gold foil embossed, and they're die cut, and you know stuff like that. That's what bugged me. Oi, 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 oi. So many decisions, so much variety. I can't stop looking at the shinies. <laughs> oh, but I will say this. I did enjoy more, well, after the, well, the ones you showed me, the ones uh, about Morbius. Uh, how he came back like during the 90s. This was like the huge craze when Bram Stoker's Dracula came out. It even shows in like one of the strips. Um, you see Morbius hanging over the little the billboard with the title of the film and the people starring in it. Like it was a little um, homage to that. Yeah. Uh, Morbius is an interesting yeah, it, one because uh, not a full-fledged vampire. He injected himself to cure himself of disease and became vampire-like. And that was always something kind of was a cult following. And yes. I don't even remember. The 70s comics I'm not too familiar on. I had to have my uh, co-host, Ken, educate me. But I don't think Morbius had his own title. I could be wrong. It was more about, like, Tomb of Dracula and Werewolf by Night, stuff like that. And Oh, yeah. Well, Morbius is hot now because they're all talking about making a movie of him with uh, Jared Leto. Yes. Oh, God. Yeah, no, he could definitely pull that off. I honestly could see him doing Morbius really well. Um, and they definitely they real have to go R rated. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe not. I'm scientific. not sure. But it's you know Sony. Yeah. Uh, it's part of the Spider Man universe, which I didn't realize. They said they have like hundreds and hundreds of characters they license to use in that universe. I'm like, but what's cinematic? And Morbius is actually a pretty good choice. 
Oh, definitely. I know. Like, kind of give it back a little horror genre. And eventually help set up uh, another Blade and the rest of the Night Stalkers, or even Darkhold. Well, actually, Marvel did kind of set up Darkhold within uh, Season 4 of uh, Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. where they introduced uh, the Danny Reyes ghostwriter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it was all regarding Danny? that book. Is it Danny Reyes? Really? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was something else. Because it, it, it goes Johnny Blaze, Danny Ketch, and I thought it was... Robbie Reyes or something like that, because he's on Shield, right? This is the same character as on Shield. Yeah, Robbie Reyes. Robbie Reyes. Reyes. Okay, yeah, you're right. I was wrong. I'm an idiot. Shoot me. Burn me alive. <laughs> <laughs> but um, as far as it goes for Morbius, uh, again, I, I think uh, cinematically they try to reintroduce him or set him up at the end of the first Blade movie in a deleted scene, but it never came to fruition, and uh, they wanted to focus solely on Blade. Yeah. However, that would have been a good team up. Well, they did have in the third one the Night Stalker uh, team, which uh, is Hannibal kind of King, a, yes. yeah Hannibal King, and um, that didn't go well. Even though they wanted a spinoff, because I think by this time Wesley Snipes had become kind of difficult to work with, so they're probably like, well, where else are we going to go with this? Yeah, pretty much. And uh, also, I was kind of hoping eventually they might set up Werewolf by Night. I mean, I was because uh, I ended up reading all the comics you sent me, including the old ones where he took on. Uh, the Tatcher Demalion, uh, or Tatcher Demalion, yeah, that's what's his name, I, I, however you pronounce it. And, and it was, again, uh, Johnny Blaze Ghostwriter teaming up with the world by knife to take this guy on, and everything he touched, I think, like, kind of decayed, or just, like, you know, supernatural creatures went crazy. Ugh. Still, again, there would be a lot to do with that. I mean, make it a Netflix series, or, like, a one-time, or, like, a limited special like yeah, I, well, no, I would like to see a horror universe build up. You know it's not going to be very – well, Morbius may be cinematic, but I'm just not sure. I feel like Blade has downgraded in its popularity. I mean the funny thing is Blade is what saved the whole Marvel cinematic universe in a way. But you know, by the time 2004, 2006 it rolled around, everybody had moved up to bigger budget ideas, and Blade was on television. I just watched some of the episodes from the Blade TV show that was on Spike, and it's not good. Yeah. It's real no. low budget. Yeah, no, and the action itself was just seemed so slow, and they kind of depowered Blade. Yeah, I know it was a damn shame. I like the actor. I thought he did. Yeah, a good stick job your fingers. Uh, I actually really enjoyed him. Actually, I enjoyed him almost as much as Blade. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't blame him. But again, uh, they yeah, they just kind of derailed that franchise themselves. They screwed it up. Yeah, well, but the um, uh, the movies though, the Ghost Rider movies. Let's talk about those real quick because I just rewatched those and. Oh. Um, I actually, no, I actually enjoyed them. Uh, there's, I will say the, here's the weird thing with both movies. The first half is way more entertaining than the second half. Once it starts focusing on the villains in part one, I start to lose interest because Wes Bentley, as much as I like him as an actor, is not that compelling of a villain. He has the same exact problem as, um, uh, what, uh, Steven. Steven Hines? Nah, Steven Dorff. Oh, Yeah. You know, oh, they're just like bland, dull kids, you know, and they're just like, I just don't feel you're, in, in, you know, intimidating. And so that one, I don't, and the second one is a lot weirder. I don't particularly like the Eastern European look because I just feel like it's a way to cut budget. Um, but I love, uh, Syrian Hines is a great villain. You got Christopher Lambert in there. Uh, I can't oh, the kid's uh, name. What's that? Oh, I just saw it. Yeah, yeah. He's great in that. I don't. I don't remember the kid's name either. But I know his name was Danny. I was like, oh, is that how they're going to set up Danny Ketch? It, it actually was. I didn't even know that until I read the uh, the Wikipedia on it that it was Danny Ketch. Did I miss the last name? Possibly. I don't even think they said his last name. 
other than he's a kid who uh, has hell power. Yeah. And uh, he was uh, supposed to be the, uh, the vessel of uh, Satan, or Mephisto. Okay, so um, right before we get into all the Midnight Suns, um, so the other things that happened in the 90s were was uh, Vampirella was revived and became a cult following. Um, we had the whole Marvel uh, Clive Barker line. For some reason, I can't remember it, but they did like a Nightbreed comic and a Hellraiser comic. We had um, Chaos Comics, which did Lady Death. I remember. I feel like there was. Um, I feel like there was adaptations of like Leprechaun and and Warlock, and I think um, there was Puppet Master comics and stuff like that. Uh, even Marvel started bringing back some of their scarier characters. Like uh, Werewolf by Night had a brief miniseries. He had a great one in '98, which not a lot of people remember was uh, a fantastic. Uh, Deathlock had come back, who was basically a, a zombie assassin. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I never even knew of Deathlock until I played the video game Maximum Carnage, and then I kind of read into him oh. and saw how he and Johnny Blaze were like similar. Yeah. Especially after Johnny uh, was Wait. revived. How are they similar? Uh, I don't know. I thought like with the, uh, the cybernetic like implants and stuff, because I remember they were expecting a, uh, in the Road to Vengeance series that that I was reading. I remember they were uh, they were trying to experiment on Johnny Blaze to like manipulate and take out the hellfire in him okay but he was very resistant and it damaged some of his body and uh they ended up like kind of like giving him some like implants and cybernetic and making him more metal looking a lot like deathlock you know i'm completely wrong in this and and probably gonna make some people happy because i said something stupid i completely forgot that dc kind of abandoned um monsters in their regular line but i forgot they relaunched vertigo in the early 90s, and that's when they brought it back in Swamp Thing. Hellblazer became a big uh, character. Those are more mature, darker titles. But they're not... The DC way of doing it, the Marvel way of doing it in the 90s was completely different. You know, Marvel seemed to be going for the big show. You know, huge action sequences, uh, very super heroic monsters. Whereas Vertigo was more pensive, adult, story-based. Um, so I, mean, I guess if you're mature, like uh, some of my friends... They love that. I, I get so bored that I'm just like talking, 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 talking. Come on, someone kick some ass. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Well, for me, uh, watching the old, uh, reading the uh, original Ghost Rider, uh, especially with uh, Johnny Blaze, it definitely was, you know, a bit campy, you know, it being the 70s. But he definitely dealt with uh, actual, oh gosh, what's the word? I, I, like actual demons like, uh, you know, Satan and all that. And, yeah. You know, being actually manipulated by the Zarathos before it got even into more depth with the Road to Vengeance series. And, of course, uh, to me, that's where I first found out about the Son of Satan. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who's almost been... You know, I forgot. They also brought him back in his story. Uh, I think it was called Hellstorm. Hellstrom? Can't remember. Hellstrom, I think. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Oh, God, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there was that uh, There was that little uh, series that Stanley, I think, wanted to branch out more into... Uh, like the supernatural monster kind of era, and bringing Son of Satan was kind of a was like a step toward that. Yeah, well, Johnny Blaze is like an amalgam of two huge things in the mid seventies: Evil Knievel and Satanic Panic. When everybody was obsessed with cults and Satan worshiping and stuff like that, and it was really of the moment. And you're right, there is a little bit of cheese factor, but I almost think it's sometimes more entertaining than the nineties version. Um, well, I'll say the villains are better in the 90s version because uh, I think they focused on giving an overall arc instead of just whatever random issue it was. Like, oh, this is throwing a villain. But um, I, that costume is friggin' cool, dude. 
that motorcycle is pretty badass too. The '90s version oh, you know, yeah. just looks like extreme. Oh yeah, no, definitely uh, a little more heavily armored, but I loved how they added the spike studs and the chain and everything. Um, again, yeah, Johnny Blaze. Also, uh, I think one of the inspirations for giving him that leather outfit was because you know Elvis. Elvis was still cool. He always wore leather. Yeah, and that's they true. Thought, like, yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> Did and, you notice like, that Nicolas yeah, Cage does that in the first movie? He does. Oh uh, God. He does a really campy like. Uh, Peter Fonda is a brilliant choice, by the way, as uh, Satan. But he comes up to him, and Nicholas Cage goes, Hey, no way, man. No, he doesn't do that, but that's what it looks like. Stay away from me. He does a stupid point. You know, he does the eyebrow thing. He pretty much was doing his Elvis impression. Yeah. The first movie, yeah, to me, uh, I saw it in theaters when it first came out. My dad took me. I was so excited to see it. And, you know, we were, uh, you know, again, we we were uh, Nicholas Cage fans. But, um, again, I'm watching it, I'm like, uh, I, I, I. he killed the enemies way too fast. I was expecting some. Yeah, that was really action. easy. It was so easy. Yeah. Well, the problem is the director of Ghost Rider is the same director of uh, Daredevil. And yeah. he's always pulling his punches. Both movies feel like they should have been R-rated and a little more complicated oh, yeah. than they were. And, uh, well, we've seen the director's cut of Daredevil, which is much better. Um, but you can see that Mark Stephen Johnson just doesn't have it. Whereas it feels like... Maybe even Stephen Norrington, who was originally set up to be the director of Ghost Rider, could have done a better job. Oh, definitely. Yeah, no, honestly, uh, I think that's what the uh, directors of the second movie said. It's like, yeah, no, if anything, if we were to present this character correctly, we needed our rating. But they just wouldn't have it. They wouldn't push for it. Yeah. Well, I think those guys, was, those guys that did Crank, right? Oh, Neville Dean Taylor? Yeah, they did Crank. Yeah, and Gamer. Actually, yeah, Gamer was a great concept. That was an underrated movie. Oof, I'm not a fan of that one, but I know everybody else is. Yeah, no, it's a trip, that's for sure. Yeah, oh. no, um, Nicolas Cage, yeah, he himself, like, wanted an R-rated Ghost Rider film. Well, he says it right now, he, it's in the news. Like, as I was bringing up Ghost Rider, it was brought up in the news, he wants an R-rated reboot. I don't know if he'll be in it, because I think people are kind of tired of him, but I will say this, everybody's talking about Mandy right now. Yeah, that and he'll want... <laughs> oh, I'll have to look into that. I actually, I think it's uh, in, on Netflix, if I'm mistaken. Yeah, I, 93% but, um, of Rotten Tomatoes is just fucking killing it. And I, I hope it's his comeback, but I just don't I just don't know, man. I don't know if they're going to do it. Oh, yeah, no. Uh, possibly not. I don't know. The problem... Okay, so this is what he said uh, regarding Ghost Rider. The problem is it's very hard to take a family of children to a movie, and they made it a PG-13 movie. But a superhero who, oh, by the way, also happens to have sold his soul to Satan. So it's not the most commercial concept or vehicle. But it certainly is the most interesting point and the most thought-provoking. I think if you look back on the movies today, that ain't well. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Honestly, uh, yeah, the first one to me was just a boring Western when I tried to rewatch it. Even the director's cut. And I, it was kind of cool. I liked Sam Elliott. Don't get me wrong. I love Sam Elliott. His presence was awesome. Him being the original Ghost Rider, Carter Slade. But it really took away the mythology of Zarathos. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but, they leave that, yeah, but they left that in the second movie. And again, the whole—they definitely went cheaper with the Eastern European, uh, Eastern European, you know, backdrop and locations. But the villain I thought they brought in was uh, Tattered Malian. Uh, it was like one of the gang guys following him, and then he comes back, and everything he touches decays, except yeah. the Twinkie. Well, that still survived. That—it's the same. See, he kind of has the same powers that uh, shit. Who was the villain in the first movie again? Oh, uh, Blackheart. 
Blackheart, and of course he has Pestilence and all the other ones with him. Um, but yeah, he had that kind of thing where he would touch them and they would rot. So it seemed like it was still... I wasn't even sure if it was a different character for a little bit. I was like, wait, hold on. Is this the same villain for the first movie? Did I miss something? Yeah, it almost seemed like it. And uh, yeah, it de- I mean, other than Nicolas Cage, it definitely had a different feel from the first uh, film. That felt it was more heavy metal and a little bit more trying to be horror. Yeah. Which I thought was the direction it should it needed to go in, and the action was better. I really liked the action. I'm like, this is how it it's a lot of fun. I love seeing, um, especially in the comics, but if they do the, all the chain stuff where he just like whipping oh, around yeah. and breaking people in half. But I kind of wanted to see, did they do it? I missed it where they turned uh, his chain into Chinese stars and they flew and tore people up and then came back together. No, I don't. Damn, know. I don't think so. That'd be fucking awesome. Yeah, they do that. Uh, yeah. the, the, I, I forgot to send it to you. It was too late. But I had the first uh, five issues of Ghost Rider um, collected in a trade paperback. Right. And uh, that's one of the things that he takes on. I want to say he takes on, oh, damn it, Black. I don't think I want to say it's Black Heart. Um, give me a sec. I'll look it up. But go ahead and uh, you, you can talk about the comics for a little bit. I talk too much. Yeah. Oh, no, that's all good. But as far as it goes, um, reading all the stuff, you know, um, from the whole uh, – or everything leading up to the uh, Rise of the Midnight Suns, which is like the biggest team-up of all the supernatural heroes, uh, orchestrated by Doctor Strange, however, but not directly involved. Otherwise, the whole all the mystic forces like go out of balance and everything's fucked. So he can't be directly involved, but he, he can't just sit by and watch either. And so it sets up, you know, Danny Ketch was killed by a uh, Midnight, I think, was the vampire that killed him. Okay. And uh, he's... He's kind of stuck in purgatory, and then Ghost Rider takes over and goes tr- starts traveling, trying to find answers to see a way to get Danny Ketch back. And along the way, he teams up with the X-Men which was, and takes on the Brood, which is a badass fucking story. And it, it is. Me it's him pretty cool. So much. Oh, God, yes. And him teaming up with Wolverine uh, and Beast later on another assignment. And then uh, – oh, no, wait, no. War Journal happened before, I think. It where did. He teams yeah, up you're with right, right. Take down these uh, – Oh my god, I love that sequence too. I was like, "Fuck yeah, <laughs> yes, so metal." <laughs> and um, yeah, leading up to that, uh, his collaborations with all these characters, you know, seeing how tormented he is, and he's starting to feel, he's starting to, you know, become passionate and you know, develop human feelings, like even for Danny's girlfriend and his family, you know, he's starting to care about them. He's being more than just the uh, spirit of en- the uh, spirit of vengeance, you know, slaying all the wicked, but only the ones that deserve death. Uh, if like some he finds that he can find redemption and he kind of eases off, and then of course Johnny Blaze gets uh, dragged back into it. Even though like he's kind of reformed, you know he runs a carnival and a circus with his wife and kids, and for them to be caught, uh, it's just like you know no matter what he does, like he's always drawn back into it. Like hell, he wanted to try and kill Danny Ketch when he reemerged because he thought he was it was Zarathos, but it, it was a different kind of entity. I remember he shoved his shotgun in Ghost Rider's mouth to, you know, get rid of him, and all of a sudden the flames from Ghost Rider went into the gun, and it became like a hellfire uh, gun. Yeah, and then that was Johnny Blaze's uh, main weapon. Ugh. And then later on we find out, you know, Lilith, who's like this ancient demonic uh, being trying to come back into the world, you know, by uh, using the soul, of, like, uh, using the soul of like Danny Ketch, you know, mutating him, and you know, just causing hell on earth. And then of course we eventually lead up to him meet, uh, talking and finding Morbius who just became a vampire. Uh, and there's a special, and you know, there's also a side story where there's an agency who's trying to find these supernatural characters and harness their power. And it gets uh, a few, uh, 
issues later, we find out more about them little by little. <clears throat> and then eventually we get to, you know, Night Stalkers and the Darkhold and then back to where they're all team up and take on Lilith, which was like a fucking awesome action sequence. Yeah. I was seriously love this since this became a Netflix series. It would be I awesome. Would... Just like, you know, uh, I think they went with 10 episodes for the new Iron Fist season, which is smarter because I always feel like at 13, I'm like, oh, you're dragging this out, buddy. Tighten this shit up. Yeah. But they could do, you know, four or five series where it's just 10 episodes each. So you got Ghost Rider. You have Werewolf by Night. You could even do a Tomb of Dracula. And that's when you would introduce the new Blade. You know, bring in, um, uh, shit, why, why am I forgetting it? Um, Animal King. Hannibal King. Uh, Drake. Yeah. Frank you know, Drake. Um, who else could we do? We could do Hellstorm. We could do Brother Voodoo, um, who is long Ooh. forgotten, who uh, took over Doctor Strange for a while. I'm trying to think of some other horror characters that are good. Uh, you could bring in Hobgoblin if you wanted to. Um, you could bring in Mr. Hyde. The Demogoblin? Uh, yes. Did, yeah. Um, you could bring in uh, Carrion from Spider-Man. Oh, no, Sony owns that, so shit. No. Um, but I'm just thinking, like, all these horror, bring Mephisto into it. Yes, bring back Mephisto. Do him right. You Scarecrow. Know, uh, Scarecrow. In the 70s. Oh, God, yes. Scarecrow. Oh, that'd be such a... Did I fuck. send you oh. a comic book where they fought Scarecrow, the Marvel Scarecrow? Yes, they did, uh, with Captain America. Yeah, that was a good one. Oh, my God. That should be a, oh, that should be an episode on its own. That'll be a trip. <sighs> Do you remember uh, Jack-O-Lantern? Anyway. He was also a Spider-Man villain who was kind of like always a nemesis of Spider-Man, but also of Hobgoblin. <laughs> Trying to remember. He had a big pumpkin. He had a pumpkin there. for a head. It was on fire. Oh yeah, yeah I think I would. I think you saw him in one of these issues. Hey. Yeah, and you said decay. Be, yeah, no, he, oh, Death Watch. I think Death Watch is the one that's responsible for his sister's death. But I know Blackout was part of it too. Black. See, here's the thing that confused me. I just looked it up. So Blackheart, the son of Satan, is the villain in the first movie. But then the one that's played by Johnny, whatever his fucking name is from Empire Records, Johnny Whitmore, I think, he played Blackout in the second movie. Oh, okay. Oh, Blackout and Black... What's the difference? I don't know. Just... I don't know. Same villains, it seems. Um, who else we have? We had... Uh, <laughs> Nightmare. Nightmare's a good villain. Oh, yes. Oh, God, yeah. No, Nightmare um, is somewhat sympathetic, however, but... No, wait, no. Nightmare's different, isn't he? What, what was no, the first I was thinking said? of, like, an actual vampire. He was, a, he was a, a, an assassin... Like he was one of the government assassins for that agency, and he ends up becoming a vampire and trying to get revenge on those who killed him. Yeah, I don't remember any of that. Oh, yeah. No, I'm just trying to remember his name. Um, while you're know, thinking of that, the, you know what's funny is I was thinking about how in the early 80s, Marvel... Night Terror. Night, okay. Marvel didn't know what to do with Ghost Rider. The series had basically faded away. But he was popular enough, so they started putting him in, like, random shit. They put him in the Defenders. They put him in Champions. Here's the team for the Champions, if I remember correctly, and it's so bizarre. It's just like, hey, we have these superheroes. We have no place for them. What do we do? It was, um, okay, here, I think it was Hercules, Black Widow, Ghost Rider, Iceman, uh, Beast, and Angel. That was the Champions. Yes, those are the Defenders. Yeah, I think you actually sent me a few of those. Uh, oh, God, that would be great for them to get involved. No, I was talking about the Champions. The Champions lasted 17 issues. They realized they had fucked up, and so they split them up and then took half of them and put them into the Defenders, and then the other half, I think, went over to the Avengers. Oh, very interesting. Very, very interesting indeed. 
You know, I sent you a I couple of these. I don't even remember. I remember they're in the pile, but I don't even remember reading them. Was uh, one of the the forgotten titles of Midnight Suns was Darkhold. I couldn't tell you a damn thing about it. Yeah, I guess it was just a group of. Uh, oh my gosh, uh, whatever caretaker was one of those like guardians of uh, those like, supernatural guardians. They're the the immortals. Yeah. Uh, they overwatch everything, and I think it's about uh, one of them and this particular book. <laughs> And like, oh fuck! Oh, it's okay, dude. I, I, I can't remember either. Some, I didn't read an origin story of them, yeah. so that's why. So if anything, uh, what I had to do was uh, wiki it, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. This what this is awesome. This is an awesome series. And again, they kind of uh, developed that in um, uh, Agents of Shield in season four. They were getting around the Darkhold, which is the book uh, that they were looking for, the ones that they experimented on. Mm-hmm. And uh, Robbie Reyes is. Uh, yeah, Robbie Reyes' uncle was one of the uh, scientists who worked on it. But anyway, getting back to this, uh, eventually leading up to the Road of Vengeance, which you know had another Hellfire user named Vengeance. He was one of the cops that was trying to go after Danny Ketch for the, long, the longest time. And it turns out that these three weren't exactly, you know, it wasn't Mephisto who granted them these powers. They had these powers all along. However, Dan, you find out that Danny Ketch was supposed to, wasn't supposed to become a ghostwriter. It was his sister, Barb, who was killed in that graveyard that night. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. And that's been, like, tormenting Danny since, you know, it happened. And then there's, uh, eventually leading on, you find out Zarathos comes back, like the full entity of Ghost Rider. Uh, But, however, the strange thing is, Danny Ketch and Vengeance are still, you know, demonic, uh, are are still, like, you know, fire demons and can manipulate Hellfire. (laughs) So I'm... Again, it just becomes a, uh, much more complex and more detailed, but so damn interesting. I want to read. I want to finish reading it. I want to know because uh, again, Lilith from Midnight Sums comes back. Like she bears her children again. You know, like Midnight and all those other demonic piles of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but still, oh, again, I would love to see the Road to Vengeance uh, come into fruition eventually cinematically yeah well i think uh, i think Netflix. marvel marvel's going to run out of stuff to do with their superheroes they're gonna have to explore the supernatural i mean they do have dr strange which is metaphysical and and, and you know a little bit in that world but there's a lot to explore yes. i'm trying to think of other ones that they could adapt but um while i'm thinking i just want to for, i don't want to forget our sponsor because that would make me an asshole because he sent us these great comics loves to read on yes, amazon and ebay check them out they sell books movies comics um, all sorts of odds and ends in the entertainment world. If you like video games, board games, stuff like that, you check them out. And uh, thank you for the, being our sponsor. Loves to Read is the uh, company. All right. Yeah. Also, uh, one more thing. Uh, mentioning Doctor Strange, yes, that's the great thing about uh, Marvel taking the step in like another genre. Uh, Kevin Feige himself even said he wants to de- de- go into different genres other than what they have already with their superheroes. Yeah. Well, they have, they they have the do, space. Um, space has been a knockout for them with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and now Guardians Thor. The they, they're, apparently, they're fast-tracking Nova to go along with Captain Marvel. That's a place to go. But I, I feel like there's got to be something in the horror, darker universe. I'm just trying to remember the stuff that they did. I feel like Sleepwalker was another one of those um, somewhat horror, superheroic. Uh, do you remember Sleepwalker at all? No. There was there was a fit of superheroes from that era that were revived and they were hot for one minute. Sleepwalker was one of them. Uh, Darkhawk, do you remember? Or not Sleepwalker. Sleepwalker and Darkhawk. Do you remember them? Do you remember Darkhawk? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to find these comics, man, because see, you're a lot younger. You were like two when those came out. So 
Uh, I'm not surprised you don't know, but I thought maybe Dark Hawk had a revival. I thought he became one of the Young Warriors, but I could be wrong. Sounds awfully familiar. I'll have yeah. to look it up. I have to reread uh, Warriors. There was one called Slapstick, which was a comedic one in the Marvel Universe, where Correct. he was just basically chaos, and he, he was like uh, um, Mr. Mixopolitic, but a good one. You know, so he would just cause chaos and oh, nice. defeat the enemies. Uh, ah, let's see. We had, yeah, we had Deathlock coming back. We had um, Nomad, which uh, was Captain America's sidekick who decided to hit the road and uh, grew a beard, long hair, and a shotgun, which was a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Almost, then I think that's where they got the idea for Hobo with the shotgun. Yeah, they had one <laughs> called uh, oh. Full Killer. Full Killer was a psychopath who, if he thought someone was... Um, not to his uh, pleasing, I guess, that he would call them a fool and then he would kill them. What? Yeah, it ran for a surprising amount of time. Um, it's it's strange. The 90s are such a weird hodgepodge of Marvel just throwing whatever uh, they want at the wall to see if it'll stick. And it, it sold well because it was a speculation market. Oh, wow. Damn. Well, shoot. Honestly, I really hope they uh, branch off back to uh, Howard the Duck. I mean, that could be comedy. Bring that back. Yeah, that's another uh, uh, somewhat obscure one. There's uh, Machine Man, which was great. He was uh, an offshoot, I think, of the Avengers, a robotic man with, like, stilt legs and hands. He was really cool. Um, so there's got to be other ones that were really big in the 90s from Marvel that I can't remember. But, yeah, it was just, like, that brief moment where they decided to revive horror comics again, and it went, like, gangbusters for about three or four years there. You can tell. I was looking through the miniseries events, for Ghost Rider, and um, I was like, oh, yeah, so three years later, Morbius was gone, Darkhold was gone, uh, Spirits of Vengeance, I think, was gone. Uh, that's the one where Johnny Blaze and Ghost Rider team up, or Danny Ketch and Johnny Blaze team up. Um, what was the other yeah. one? I was Night Stalkers, you said. Yeah, all these were gone. Even the uh, Clive Barker horror line was gone. So it was just Ghost Rider holding it up until... I want to say 98, and there was another small, brief revival. Like I said, there was a great Werewolf by Night miniseries. But there was one where, I shit you not, the Punisher died. And they brought him back from the dead as an angel of death. And he had glowing, like, telekinetic guns. And he had, like, burning eyes. It was actually pretty cool. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. Oh, that is actually pretty, a pretty cool idea. But, yeah, I think John Berenthal would be down for that. <laughs> Yeah, not a lot of people liked it. Bernie, Bernie Wrightson did it, and it was, it was absolutely magnificent artwork, but it just didn't take off. No, sadly no. I'm wondering if, oh yeah, Daredevil Season 3 is supposed to be coming out soon. I'm wondering if uh, Punisher gets another season, they might develop more into like of a supernatural kind of thing. You know, you know what? Maybe have him team up. What I would like is if, for some fucking reason, that they would decide, hey, you know what, let's not shoot him in the gut or the shoulder every single episode. To the point where he can no longer fight, and then the next episode, oh, he's fine. Yeah, he was on deathbed yesterday, but he's cool now. I'm like, what? No. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, again, only time will tell, and hopefully, well, with what Disney's done, I mean, maybe they'll have to, they'll probably pump the brakes a bit. I mean, they're doing that with, like, uh, Star Wars considering that Solo wasn't the uh, financial success they were hoping for. Yeah, I, I want to see it, though. It comes out on video in a couple of days here, and I uh, I, wanna, I would love to view I'm it. I'm buying it. Yeah? Okay, well, then that's my linchpin in, because you always give me that voodoo. That voodoo that you oh, do so well. All hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn right. You know this. 
Uh, is there anything else while we're here? Because I feel like it's a hodgepodge of stuff that we've missed over the years um, that we haven't covered. Uh, I want I still want to do the Clerks comic book with you. Uh, oh, yeah, there's still that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like I send you so many comics. It must be getting overwhelming. If you need to donate those, I would totally understand. Oh, I'm not giving up these Ghost Rider ones. Uh-uh. That's for damn sure. <laughs> okay, so I think that's it for this episode. A little shorter than usual. I'm beat. Honestly, I just got done with work and... Uh, I realized I didn't have a whole hell of a lot to say. It was fun revisiting it. Um, I actually prefer the 70s. Uh, there's still collections of Ghost Rider out there called the Essential Collections that are in black and white. Um, and you can find them on eBay, most of them for like, you know, 10 bucks. It's it's a, a nice. There's usually like 25 issues per uh, book. It's nice and thick. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. But yeah, no. Um, hopefully, uh, they would re release. Uh, actual volumes of the entire uh, Midnight Sun series and the issues in between each one. Yeah, you know what I wish they would revive? Like this is off the topic, but it's that, you know how I said independent comics started doing horror stuff because the biggie guys weren't? Uh, now Comics, a very short-lived uh, company that mostly did licensed titles, um, they did for two years a excellent Fright Night adaptation, which is lost because I don't think anybody owns the rights to it. I don't know where or what. Who has, you know, I would love to see that reprinted. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, that would be something to see. I would love to read that. Oh, man. Because, you know, Fright Night's definitely like one of my favorite vampire movies. I yeah. mean, I've liked it even since I was a kid. I, I mean, as a kid, I, you know, I just thought it was funnier than hell, especially when he said, kill them both. <laughs> both. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, Fright Night, for real. Um, uh, Tom Holland, the guy who wrote and directed Fright Night, um, he just did a comic book about the early years of um, Peter Vincent. Uh, you can buy it on his website. I think it's crazy expensive, though. I can't remember. I looked this up. I, think, I want to say it's like 25 bucks for – I don't even know how thick it is, but um, Tom Holland Terror. Tom, why did I think it was crazy download? Oh, oh it's digital download. Uh, it's five dollars or nine ninety nine for Fright Night: The Peter Vincent Chronicles issue zero, whatever the hell that means. I never understood the issue zero. You just either issue one or none. There's only three hundred ninety available. Why is one more than the other? That's what I'm curious about. Mm, I don't know. Like limited availability. Oh possibly? no! Five dollars for the digital version, ten dollars for the actual physical copy. The shipping's probably gonna be fourteen bucks. That's the only thing that bums me out is I'm really excited about this. Uh, but, well, I mean, does that mean Peter Vincent had a horror story first? I mean, that, that would negate the fact that he didn't believe in monsters. Oh, here it is. It says, um, a 24-page original comic book based on the story by Tom Holland focuses on the adventure of Peter Vincent immediately following the events of the first film and serves as a bridge into future Fright Night comic books. Yeah, so that's what, that's what the... Uh, the now comic book series uh, focused on was post Fright Night 2. And um, they, ta they tackled aliens, they tackled goblins and, and werewolves and stuff like that. And they took on um, Evil Eddie. Evil Eddie came back for a big arc. And I feel like they were building up to oh, something wow. really big. And then all of a sudden now comics canceled it. And they would start doing like these 3D versions and a big epic version, like annuals and stuff like that. But it was nothing new. They were just repackaging old issues. And that upset me to no end. Oh. I hate it when they pull shit like that. Yeah, I know. They pretty much beat a dead horse. Oy, hey. All right. But so yeah, no. uh, anything else you want to say before we go? Just just bring back Ghost Rider, please. <laughs> Take my money, Kevin Feige. Did you watch it on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? I think I asked you that already, but I don't. I didn't see the episode. Yeah, actually, I did. I mean, I've 
I honestly felt like I didn't really have to watch the previous uh, seasons to know these characters or anything. But uh, again, uh, that was the only reason I watched that entire season was because of uh, Robbie Reyes, Ghost Rider. Okay. And it was badass. Oh, dude, the 69 Charger was badass. Nice. That's what he drives. Yeah, no, oh. It, again, it was very, it was done right. It was done wonderfully. I'm glad they didn't update it. So it was like, uh, oh, Ghost Rider's on a Segway. Awesome. <laughs> on <Yeah>. a hoverboard. <laughs> I, yeah, and it did show diversity. It was pretty nice how it got a little cultural there, too. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, and the origin was uh, spot on, too. I mean, it's, uh, as far as origins go for, like, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they, they definitely do it justice. Um, so I don't know where we're going with the show after this. You and I have so many other shows we got to tackle, but this was nice to buffer it until we get the next season going. Uh, next season, of course, I'll be bringing back Avery and, um, Cameron, and we'll be discussing all sorts of random things throughout the Marvel DC universe. Not so much independent comics. It's really hard to find a good independent comic that both of us enjoy. Um, but you and I will try to throw in the clerk's comic book. I'm going to try to see if I can get the, uh, something else that Kevin Smith wrote for you. Like maybe the green arrow run that he did was so good. Something I got. Oh yeah, yeah. I forgot. I'm stupid. I have the whole Hawkman and Adam stuff that we're gonna do later. Oh. Oh, you know what? There's a horror title I picked up. We haven't read yet. The Astounding Wolfman by Robert Kirkman, the creator of Walking Dead. It looks like it's a lot of fun. Oh, awesome. So yeah, there's, there's a lot that. of stuff uh, we're going to finish. I swear. I promised two years ago we are going to finish the uh, Death of Superman trilogy. So. You know, Rain and uh, Return, Funeral for a Friend, all that stuff. Yeah, and of course, uh, Doomsday, the Doomsday arc, yep. where we actually get to find his origin. And, is, uh, oh my god, dude. Well, that, that, that turned into a four-part series now. Um, but then uh, we also are going to do Nightfall. Uh, not you and I, but me and uh, Avery. We're going to do Nightfall. Mm -hmm. I, I just have a whole bunch of ideas. It just depends if everybody can line up with it. So we'll see where we go from there. And uh, thank you for checking us out. We're on Facebook under Retro Rock Entertainment. And uh, have a good night. All right, everybody. Namaste and good luck. Ghost rider, motorcycle, hero, ba ba ba. Everybody, welcome to another episode of Comics on Infinite Earths. I'm your host, Michael. I'll be having Ken Reed come up. We'll be discussing some 70s Marvel horror comics. Kind of with the uh, the holding point is the Werewolf by Night series that I read. And uh, before we get into that episode, I just want to say check out his podcast, TV Guidance Counselor. Uh, it does stand up throughout Boston, so check that out. And also our sponsors, Jemetsko.com. For all your pop culture wares, if you want some t-shirts, hats, patches, you know, household goods, clothing goods, you know, stuff like that, check out them. And uh, if you're looking for pop culture uh, media, so like comics and movies and stuff like that, check out our sponsor, Zen Monster Media. And uh, they're on Amazon, eBay, and stuff like that, independent seller. And they, uh, they're cool enough to provide us free comic books to read for the show. And uh, hey, let's get started with that episode.
All right, so this episode discussing 70s uh, Marvel horror comics, just horror comics in general from that era, which I know nothing about. So I brought on somebody who I, I think, Ken, you, you have a better handle on this genre than I do. I think so. I, I'm a big horror comics guy. I wasn't allowed to read horror comics, and I wasn't allowed to watch horror movies either until I got into my teenage years. And so it was completely alien to me. And by the time that, you know, the 90s rolled around, it was chaos comics and... I just didn't have any interest in it. So I just picked up Werewolf by Night out of curiosity, like the Essentials Collection. But I think I made a mistake in getting Volume 2 because it was the cheapest of the bunch. Did, right, you, right. did you read the entire run? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I So I was a huge fan of those comics because when I was growing up in the 80s, they were really easily accessible. So you would find at flea markets most of the bronze age 70s stuff and i always like horror and you couldn't really find the 50s horror comics very easily and there wasn't that much horror comic stuff happening in the 80s they brought it back in the 90s in like a very extreme way which was not the band um that'd be a whole different thing but um and so i was you know they were cheap and i loved them and Marvel was the best at it. And then I found out that they also had, like, the adult Marvel horror comics and the Curtis magazines and kind of went down that whole rabbit hole. Yeah, I've, I've read the Tales of the Zombie, which is one of their magazines, and I appreciated that more. I think the art was more elaborate, the stories were a little more sophisticated, and, and I was a little let down by the regular Marvel line monsters. Yeah, I mean, I think that they were... I mean, Marvel did actually have a long history of monster comics uh, back when they were Atlas and, you know, in the early sort of pre-superhero days of Jack Kirby being allowed to do whatever he wanted. I mean, you had tons and tons and tons of monster comics, mostly giant monsters and stuff like Fing Fang Foom and, and monsters that they brought into the regular Marvel universe later. But like the thing in the Fantastic Four is right out of a, a 50, you know, Atlas monster comic. But... They still had a little bit of a kitty sort of um, angle in some of the stuff, and I think that was because they were trying to tread lightly. The reason Marvel started doing monster comics in the 70s was because the, for the first time since the 50s, the comics code was loosened so that now you could actually have comics about vampires and werewolves and zombies, and those were all actually specifically forbidden from the comics code. So it was, uh, I think, partly that. The other part of it was that to get around the comics code, uh, Warren Magazines was publishing Creepy and Eerie and Vampirella, and you had all of the sort of second-tier versions like Eerie Publications and uh, Skywald, who did some really bizarre things, and those were doing really, really well. And so I think Marvel thought, you know, there's an audience for this clearly, so let's do it now that we can. Okay. So were the magazines uh, available on the on the regular shelves, like with every other magazine, or were they still kind of like a hard-to-find item? No, they were regular newsstand magazines, because in the 70s, you also really didn't have the direct market either. So it was really only newsstands and supermarkets and that sort of stuff. And it, magazines actually had much better distribution than comic books did in the 70s in a lot of ways. Uh, so... It made sense to sort of do the magazine line, which Marvel was nervous about, so they had it under sort of a shell company called Curtis, and at first started with stuff like Tales of Zombie, uh, Monsters Unleashed, <clears throat> um, they did a, a Dracula com uh, magazine, uh, and a couple other things, but it... Uh, 
it was really when they brought that stuff into the four color comics that it it, uh, it really took off because no one was really doing that and you had DC doing some anthology stuff so DC had still had like House of Secrets and House of Mystery which never went away during the comics code they just went kind of sanitized and you know as a direct result DC also did I Vampire which is actually a really cool comic what's the one uh, I think it's for the 70s Marv Wolfman I think Gene Colan did it, it was called Night Force yeah, Night Force is DC. It's actually eighties. Okay. Um, and it it's very, very good. It's uh it was only about twelve issues, but it's it's basically this sort of amoral, uh John Constantine type guy pulls together it's almost like a it's almost like a supernatural mission possible. Oh, okay, that sounds cool. Yeah, I saw they collected uh, it up and put it out recently. It's really good. They they kind of mined a lot of it for um stuff like um Justice League Dark. And that sort of stuff, but I, I really like Night Force. It, it it's very good. The uh, the Tomb of Dracula is probably like the pinnacle of the whole Marvel horror line. Did DC have like that one mainstream horror comic that really broke out? I mean, Swamp Thing, um, which was always kind of a horror comic, and then they when the horror kind of came out of fashion, they tried to make it a superhero comic for a while before they brought it back after the movie came out in '82. But I, Vampire was actually probably their longest-running storyline, and that comic doesn't really get uh, as much, I guess, credit. But I've, it, I've, cool I've never comic. heard of it before. Until right now, I've never heard of it. Yeah, they brought it back um, during the new DC New 52, but the original run, it was a couple, I think maybe 100 issues. Oh, wow. And it was um, very sort of Dark Shadows influenced, but there's some really great stories in that. Um the Marvel Tomb of Dracula gets a little bit much. Um, Blade was obviously the breakout character from that comic, um, which I think is what made it last for so long because they had a, a superhero basically. Um, but I, you know, I really like Werewolf by Night, um, even though it's probably one of the sillier of the ones that they did. Um, and Moon Knight came right out of Werewolf by Night. They they created that character uh, in the original sort of idea behind that character was that he was uh essentially a, a werewolf hunter that was um employed by sort of an illuminati type organization well it's funny and how the characters kind of... change too it's it's gone so far beyond that now that you almost you know more about moon knight than you do about Werewolf by night oh yeah i mean Werewolf by night is a pretty one-dimensional character though as well i mean they really tried to make it a little bit more um I guess deep by having it be, you know, it's a curse that he picked up from his father and there's the whole thing with the dark hold, but it, you know, it's still a silly comic. Like they, they named the character Jack Russell, like a dog, (laughs) Um, you know, as a joke. Um, And, you know, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the incredible Hulk TV series sort of model, you know, the constantly roaming the earth looking for a cure, you know, it's, it it just gets kind of tired. But Marvel had, you know, Satana and Son of Satan and, uh, you know, Man-Thing. The, the Man-Thing comic was a great horror comic. And, you know, so they were they were really doing some interesting, weird stuff. And Ghost Rider was actually created by someone who had done a similar character earlier for um, – uh, not eerie publications for Skywall. This character called Hellrider, who drove a motorcycle that shot fire out of it, wasn't like a flaming skull, and it was a little less demonic. But uh, you know, so that drew, that grew directly out of that sort of 
teen, a little bit more adult world that they were they were dealing with. Yeah, I've never even heard of that company, Skywall. It was short lived, I'm assuming. Uh, Skywall was around for about ten years. It huh. was it was a little bit it was a little bit sleazier than Warren, and they did magazines like. Um, uh, what I can't even think of any titles now. Um, they had like four. Scream was one of them. They had I think four different magazines that were like sort of their creepy eerie, and they had amazing artists and just really weird stories. That's what I've discovered about a lot of those is the talent behind the independents and the Curtis magazines was I just think an upper echelon compared to what they were doing in the monthly regular comics. I, I, okay, so I know Mike Plug started off on Werewolf by London and I mean Werewolf by Night. <laughs> what? <laughs> yep. Werewolf by Night. And um, uh, I never got to see that art because, like I said, I bought, I bought the second one, which is Don Perlin and Doug Munch t- taking over. Right. And I feel like I need to go back because I've seen Plug's art and it's amazing. And I'm like, oh, something's missing here because – I'm not a huge Don Perlin fan. He's the guy who drew the run that we discussed on our last episode, the new Defenders. Yep. He, I'm gonna. This is sacrilege right now, but I don't really care for Jack Kirby's art. And Don Perlin seems like a student of Jack Kirby's style. I mean, I love Jack Kirby, uh, but it's definitely a very specific, very stylized kind of art. And Plug is just great at doing sort of creepy. Um, sort of Graham Engels style horror comics. And he, I believe, and I might be wrong on the timeline, but he left World by Night and then did the Frankenstein comic. And he was perfect for that. Like him and Bernie Wrightson, their takes on Frankenstein are just amazing. Yeah, and I forgot Bernie Wrightson was on that initial run of Swamp Thing, which I need to, I've read the Alan Moore run, which the art's fine, but I'm just like, man, I bet you it just kicked total ass with Bernie Wrightson. Oh yeah, I mean this the, the Alan Moore run. It's uh, Rick Veach and um, and Stephen Bissett and is great, um, but the original uh, the original run with Bernie Wrightson is is kind of setting the tone, and and that's just amazing. The uh, you've read Cycle of the Werewolf, right? Yes. That artwork is stuck in my mind forever. When I watch Silver Bullet, and it's a fine film, but when they show the werewolf, I'm like, no, nope. That's a giant yeah, bear. I want, I want the Bernie yeah. Wrightson design. It's a big bear dog. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not quite what you want. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Bernie Wrightson is sort of the quintessential horror guy. And those Curtis magazines and um, the Warren Publications magazines, I mean, what they sort of benefited from was two different waves of artists. The first one being they got the guys who had drawn for 50s horror comics and had drawn for EC and weren't working with them anymore um and weren't really that in demand so they were able to grab them and then you also had this weird thing where they tapped into um this whole talent pool from the philippines so you start seeing a lot of um like spanish and filipino names and they're all these young sort of filipino artists and they would actually farm the art out over over to the philippines and you have some amazing artists doing that stuff i think they also benefited from the fact that you know in black and white you can be a little more artful people are um really good at doing the shading and all that kind of stuff and uh you know i i just love the atmosphere of those yeah, the essential collections, you know, it's a lot cheaper that way because they strip the color, and I think it's a benefit to that style because I, I know the color was not the, the high quality. It wasn't as elaborate as it is today. You know, it's not done by computers. It's done by hand, and when they strip that right. away, it just looks amazing. 
Yeah, and there's even some of the essential collections, you end up seeing like some stuff that wasn't meant to be seen. Um, like there's some kind of jokes that the the inker and penciler would write in knowing it would get covered up with the coloring. Like they drew like some nudie shots and there's some <laughs> stuff like that that's, that's made its way into some of those uh, essential collections. The uh, Which is a bummer because DC and Marvel both ditched their showcase and essential line to do the epic collections or the omnibuses. I don't want to read a comic book that weighs 15 pounds. I already have Carpal Tunnel. I like the light, yeah. cheap, affordable books. I don't want to pay $40 for the same exact storyline. Although those are really nice presentations, but yeah, they're, they're a little bit difficult to read. I always pick them up. If I find, because usually see those on like cutout and clearances, so mm-hmm. I'll pick up like I think I picked up the Doom Patrol one and uh, the Tomb of Dracula one, but yeah, they're not exact. Like you got to plan your day around sitting down and reading that thing. Yeah, we we discussed trying to do Alpha Flight, and the only way I'm going to be able to afford that first initial run is getting the omnibus, and I'm like, holy right. shit, that thing looks huge. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, it's enormous. The uh, that was kind of a horror comic too because of you know adding Wendigo or not Wendigo I'm sorry Sasquatch and um, Snowbird yeah. were kind of horror characters. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of uh, the first twenty five issues of Alpha Flight is a horror comic, and it's it's very much about like weird um, uh, Native American like vengeful spirits and you know woods monsters and that kind of stuff and it was it's a very interesting book you know in the same way that defenders was was kind of a horror comic as well uh, especially when jam Mateus was was doing the run there's a lot of stuff about satan um you know fighting demons and that kind of stuff and actually demon slayer was a was a character and uh you know they they really incorporated all that stuff there hellcat became an actual werecat and then you had tigra the werecat right and they <laughs> and had that um... kind of stuff Gargoyle. Gargoyle is a horror character. Yeah, Gargoyle is a fascinating character um, that they've never really done anything interesting with after. And even in the sort of the vogue of horror in the in the 90s, they didn't even bother to bring back. Yeah, they brought Werewolf by Night back, uh, I think around 97, 98. And that's kind of more of what I wanted. Um, but it all, you know, you know, the TV show Werewolf, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> that feels like a really, really watered down, stretched out, boring version of Werewolf by Night. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it totally is. It's without the sort of super heroics. You know, there's no Moon Knight. There's no, um, yeah, it does kind of break my heart that the original concept of Moon Knight was kind of made into more of like a Batman kind of action hero comic when just the concept of this like chosen weird um, Egyptian uh, Illuminati wolf werewolf hunter is kind of amazing. Well, have you read it lately? They turned into like a complete schizophrenic where he can't tell which what is going on at any time, and it's all these different personalities that he's switching from, and, and he barely has right. control of what he's doing. And that's fascinating. That's a different kind of horror. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's more like Legion or something like that. But they, but that came from the, the run of the original Moon Knight comic where you know he had four different fake identities that he would use, and it just it, it was a little bit silly. But Bill Sinkowich... Um, did art for that comic originally before while he was still kind of doing Neil Adams style stuff. And, you know, he draws amazing horror stuff. Like if you look at the, the new mutants run with the demon bear, Mm -hmm. uh, that's straight up horror. Absolutely. You know, and Neil Adams, he brought horror back into Batman. I can't remember who the writer he was working with at the time, but you know, he brought in man. Uh, yeah, Denny O'Neill. Denny O'Neill. Yeah, they brought in Man Bad. They made Two Face, uh, you know, a more prominent character. It took a much darker turn because the TV show kind of damaged the character for a while. 
Yeah, absolutely. You had the demon popping up more, which was a fairly silly-ish Kirby character. Um, but demon, you you know, uh, Neil Adams co-created Dead Man. Um, the Spectre started coming back into play in the 70s and was less of that sort of just sort of a vengeful spirit um, like he was in the 40s. You just had some some amazing DC and Ed Phantom Stranger, of course, being, you know, one of my favorite horror characters uh, where that was just one thing that was interesting was that DC didn't shy away from being overtly Judeo-Christian as much as Marvel did. <laughs> um, they sort of did sometimes, but like there was a run in Ghost Rider where Jesus showed up what, <laughs> like a bunch. And Jesus ended up, you know, look like G- the, the traditional depiction of Jesus and would, like, come and help uh, Johnny Blaze, like, get out of jams and stuff. And it was supposed to be Jesus. And then they freaked out and changed it so that they just called him the friend. And then it turned <laughs> out that they made him, like, actually a, an illusion by Mephisto. And that was the other thing. Like, originally, Johnny Blaze had done his – sold his soul to the devil. And then they sort of retroconned it so that it was Mephisto and that kind of weird stuff. But DC didn't used to shy away from it as much. Um, like the Spectre was actually was literally the wrath of God. <laughs> and they would call they, then they started calling God the voice um, and, and getting a little bit further away from it. And they really got far away from it when they had a, a run on Swamp Thing that Rick Beach was doing, where Swamp Thing was sort of falling through time because he sort of exists. It was this whole complicated thing with the green and the parliament of trees, but it was like a year long storyline. And the final issue was supposed to end with Swamp Thing being the wood that the cross that Jesus was crucified on was made from. And it was all penciled and ready to print and they freaked and pulled it and just put in a fill in issue and never resolved the storyline. Wow. I didn't know that. I never got really past the Alan Moore, like that initial chunk. Um, yeah, that makes sense though. DC Comics has always yeah. been a little more apprehensive than Marvel. I feel like Marvel is leading the way, uh, you know. And of course, independent comics changed everything throughout the '80s. You know, they're like, "Well, you can't do that, but we can." Yeah. Do you think there comics like Dead World and that sort of stuff going on in the '80s, or the Crow, the original Crow? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, horror comics kind of died off in the late '70s. Is it because kids now were more interested in space fantasies? Because that seems like the thing. It's sword and sorcery and that kind of stuff. I think it was a, a combination of things. I think that you it wasn't a novelty so much anymore because we were starting to get that stuff on TV. And you were getting stuff like Dark Shadows and The Night Stalker. Um, you know, they're showing horror movies on TV now. Uh, also, you have sort of the rise of the slasher film and sort of a different kind of horror in that it's more uh, it's more modern. Like if you look at not all, like uh, Ghost Rider, certainly not. But if you look at a lot of the Marvel horror comics, they're period pieces. You know, like Tomb of Dracula is, takes place in, you know, like Dracula's castle. They bring it up into the modern age later. But, you know, it was very sort of gothic and traditional. Same with Frankenstein and, and that kind of stuff. So I think people were looking for more like modern stuff. And the monster kid generation that sort of aged out of comics and if they were still reading stuff they were reading stuff like heavy metal or you know the the warren magazines vampirella and that kind of stuff so surprisingly i did read vampirella and i expected to be like really shitty writing and art and it just happened to have like really sexy babes and no one else was having sexy babes i was like no this is actually legit this is really good oh yeah i mean vampirella was an anthology comic and 
uh, there were some great stories in there. It's just as good as any of the other Warren stuff. Um, you know, they, they tried for years. I think Harris Comics bought Vampirella in the 90s um, and tried to make her more of a protagonist and stuff, and it's not... You kind of see where the character has flaws that can't carry a whole book. But, yeah, I mean, it, those anthologies are amazing. And I think horror comics generally worked best in anthologies, and what they were doing with Marvel and with uh, DC in the 70s was sort of moving away from anthologies and making them, you know, the main character in the book. And that was different as well. Yeah, I think it's funny is that once all that started to die off, DC comes out with an Elvira anthology in the early 80s. And that was hot for a couple of years, but then horror just kind of faded away. Yeah, it was Elvira's House of Mystery. Uh, they kind of rebranded the House of Mystery. Well, the other thing that you have, too, is that the, the direct market, which is comic book shops, those started in the late 70s. And they weren't beholden to the comics code. They didn't have to worry about stuff being pulled from a newsstand. So you were getting some more extreme stuff. That's when you started getting for mature readers comics. Um which was a first, and, and that sort of morphed into Vertigo, which isn't so much now, but absolutely was when it started, a horror comic um, sort of imprint at, at DC. Everything they did was a horror comic, um, you know, even stuff like Dune Patrol. Uh, so it, it was, uh, and, and actually Grant Morrison's run on Animal Man has some pretty horrific stuff as well. So I think it sort of morphed into that world rather than more the mainstream monster craze. And that's the other thing, the monster craze kind of, died by the 80s yeah i uh fangoria and gore zone being available on your regular magazine racks might have had a thing to do with it too because you're like well i could look at that or i could look at what's going on you know like they show you the goriest thing in every movie and i was fascinated by that as a kid oh yeah and you can absolutely go out and rent that stuff too so i mean i think that that uh that made a big difference too you could maybe. I was not allowed to, so wow. I would sneak and say I'm going to go get comic books or baseball cards. Yeah. But I would spend a half hour. <laughs> I, would, I would go to the grocery store, and I remember some ladies like, you're going to buy those things? You're going to look at them all day. Do I need to call your parents? You're looking at those? I'm like, I don't know where she got that accent from in Indiana, but that's how all old yeah. ladies talk to me. Hey, I'm going like to call your parents. Yeah. I know who you are, kid. <laughs> what was? I'm curious, what was the, the first horror movie you ever saw? The first horror movie I ever saw, um, that's a tough question. I, I suspect it was Dawn of the Dead. That was absolutely the first movie we rented. Uh, we rented it on the day we moved to our, the house that we grew up in. When my parents bought a house. It was August 1st, 1983. We rented Dawn of the Dead. I was three years old. I just turned three. So that's the first one I remember seeing. I suspect I'd seen stuff other than that before then because I know my parents used to take me to the theater. And I definitely saw things like Mother's Day when I should not have seen that. I don't know if anyone should have ever seen that movie. Um, and, and stuff like that and Tourist Trap and that sort of stuff when I was very, very little. But Dawn of the Dead's the first one that I really remember. Yeah, I saw horror comedies, and I saw them on television, so I don't know if that counts. Do you do you count Critters and Gremlins as horror movies? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Because other than that, I would say I Mutants. I, I The very first horror movie that I taped off TV, because that's the only way I was allowed to watch them for a while, was edited for television, was Mutant with Wings Hauser. <laughs> oh, yeah, which is a zombie movie, basically. And it has some really scary stuff in it. But it's also really terrible. Oh, it's terrible. But you don't know that as a kid. All of those initial horror no. movies that I saw, 
have uh just they're horrible except for return of the living dead which traumatized me for years and i couldn't watch zombie movies and i saw dawn of the dead which okay dawn of the dead fucked me up in a way that when i was working at a gas station in the middle of nowhere i started rationalizing all right so during a zombie attack i can hide here and here no that's not gonna work so starve oh, yeah. to death like that's that's insane that's how much that movie affected me but I think I think that's the case with everyone who saw it. I think that that's what what's built this entire zombie craze. I think so much of it, stuff like Walking Dead and and how this stuff really picked up all of a sudden in the mainstream in the 2000s was, you know, it's sort of wish fulfillment for a lot of people, and it's really fit into that sort of millennium like survivalist stuff, uh, and and that I think is what appealed to people whether they knew it or not when when the movie kind of first came out as well. Because yeah, I mean the concept of having like a mall to yourself was amazing um i actually went to that mall in 2005 i've seen that movie so many times that i went out of my way and, and went to that <laughs> mall and uh and it was like the closest thing i've ever had to a religious experience wow <laughs> the uh well i think the difference between zombies and the regular monsters um is you can rationalize pretty much with every monster there's a handful like the thing and the blob you know those you can't but even zombies, you know, there's just nothing. There's there's nothing going on except they want to eat you. They want to eat you. They eat you. But like the Mar- Marvel horror comics and like the Hammer films that came before them, there seems to be some level of reasoning with any of those kind of monsters because there's still a memory of who they are or who they want to be. Yeah, I mean, I think that with Marvel and and you know, one of the things that Marvel always excelled at and one of the things that Marvel was known for was the sort of tragic flawed monster or you know monster on the outside heart of gold on the inside or uh you know the curse of powers and that kind of stuff which fits right into you know frankenstein and dracula and all those sort of classic monsters i mean if you look at the the way that the thing was written in the early days of fantastic four it's that classic you know you know man trapped in a monster's body thing um and so they really adapted well to having the sort of emo side of stuff like you know dracula and yeah i mean you could reason with dracula if you needed to um when he was written in that sort of way because he's an aristocrat i think i made a joke that vampires are like zombies with a good that went to grad school that you want to have sex with (laughs) um because really they're not any different (laughs) as a monster um but absolutely it uh it uh it's a very 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 strange um way to look at that kind of stuff and zombies well zombies are also us that's the thing that's that's supposed to be terrifying is that they are you know your friends they're your family they're not an alien monster that are being from another world and that kind of stuff and that that's disturbing for people and the smart directors usually take that concept and make a social comment about it which is missing from tales of the zombie um which is heavy on like the voodoo the the yeah that kind of the original yeah, they were. I mean, that's what zombies were originally. It was wasn't until Romero in '68 made them, um, and he didn't even call them zombies. He called them ghouls. Um, you know, made them these f- flesh-eating, reanimated dead. That that the the voodoo aspect was gone. But Marvel really embraced that very '50s uh, voodoo zombie, and it was this tragic figure. Like that that guy was cursed to be a zombie, and and you kind of felt bad for him. And that that's a very different take than the Romero zombies. Uh, the one that no one ever – I didn't even know it existed because I knew about all the other Marvel horror comics. The one that I completely missed, and it must have been really short-lived, was called The Living Mummy. Yeah, yeah. 
which is very much like um like like uh, Tales of Zombie, um, and they think they brought that character back as like a weird cosmic character later. Uh, no one generally likes mummies. Mummies no, usually no. just don't. Yeah, no one's favorite thing is a mummy. <laughs> no one says it. Yeah, like uh, watch Monster Squad. Well, who's your favorite monster? Uh, well, I can tell you who was dead last. <laughs> yeah, a mummy's like a like a like if a vampire is a cool zombie, the mummy's just like a boring zombie. Yeah, the. Uh... Which do you prefer, um, werewolves or zombies, or werewolves or vampires? Um, it's it depends. I think I think werewolves are slightly more one dimensional, but vampires, even though you can do more takes on them, some of the takes are just really boring. Yeah, it's just um, they seem like, more artsy. Uh, they mean they seem more pretentious than werewolf movies. I don't like the romanticized vampire. Like I feel like all vampires should be like Mister Barlow in Salem's Lot like like a monster you know <laughs> well i like the fright night version where he is technically like a romantic character but he's like a sociopath he uses that romance to manipulate situations yeah and when he goes full vampire you know he he's he is like barlow and i think that's uh you know a much more interesting take on the thing the the werewolf is always you know it's a cursed person and and they don't lean into it as much as the vampire which is kind of like yep this is this is what i am now um, but at the same time, I, I really like a lot of the takes on werewolves. Well, I think it's weird that so many times, okay, so you usually have the mopey. I really wanted to like that remake with Benicio del Toro, but he's so depressed. I want to see someone enjoying it, <laughs> but not a villain. Yeah. It always seems like, well, you like being a werewolf? Well, I guess we're going to make you the villain. Unless you're a teen wolf, then there's a loophole. <laughs> well, that's what, that's the reason I like stuff like, you know, um, Ghost Rider. Because it's essentially the same kind of story in that – and in fact, in the original Ghost Rider, he changed uh, – I think it was three nights a, a year – I mean three nights a month. And then it was – he just changed at night just like a, like a werewolf. And it was a curse, and it was, you know, how can I use this, this curse as like a noble, you know, to help people? And it was, you know, it was basically a, a, a werewolf story with just a different – you know, he's possessed by a demon instead with a flaming skull head. So I think you can take – and again, the Hulk, at least in the way that we've seen him in TV, um, is a werewolf story. Yeah, it's uh, – well, that's what the comic book is. Just real quick, Werewolf by Night. Um, you know, it's just basically a road trip where he's just constantly on the run. And that was – well, I guess that, that, that idea was brought up with the Fugitive TV series first. But we mo our generation mostly knows it from the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, Absolutely. But yeah, searching for a cure, yeah. never having a moment. Yeah. It has that silliness. As much as I like the Defenders, there's some silly stuff in there. You're like, oh, only in the 70s, early 80s would they have done this. Like, okay, the villains. Dr. Glitter Knight? Really? He blasts yeah. a light out of his so, chest. This is <laughs> no. Yeah, they're very like Marvel 2 in 1 level um, <laughs> versions of those things. Pain Gloss? No. Nobody's yeah. last name is Pain Gloss. Stop it. One off villain. But the two that I did like was uh, Atlas, who was like a Toxic Avenger-looking uh, uh, villain, but he was kind of tragic in the fact that he got hurt on a movie set, and he became – like, he was handsome, and then he turned into this grotesque beast. Yeah, it's kind of the way that they rewrote Clayface for the Batman the Animated Series. And uh, the other one was Hangman, who – not that great of a villain, but he was like – almost like his arch nemesis he showed up so much. Yeah, and he kind of looked cool. Which people enjoyed. <laughs> Do you remember the uh, Marvel Guide uh, that came out like, like 85, 86? 
Oh yeah, yeah. I had all the Marvel guys and all the DC who's who's. Those I I used to read those more than the actual comics. Is it morbid that I read the death of the Handbook of the Dead? Was that like three books? I read that over and over and over. And I think I read the rest of them maybe once. <laughs> no, I mean that one was the most interesting because it was characters you didn't see in the books you would get the contemporary books. So like Captain Marvel was already dead, um, you know, and all and all those kind of characters that. You know, when, before people came back all the time in comics, which right. which really didn't happen till the '80s when they started doing that. Um, yeah, no, I loved that. The uh, that's how I discovered the Hangman because he was in that book of the dead. I think he was taken out by Scourge, if you remember that villain. He, he wiped out a ton oh, yeah, of those yeah. low grade villains. Yeah, I mean, those were like one off gimmick villains that that would pull, that would come up in like Marvel Tales, Marvel Two in One, Marvel Team Up. You know, where they would just have this one off thing, just like they did on. Um, at DC with Brave and the Bold and um, what was the Superman one? Uh, World's, World's Finest. Finest. Yeah, yeah. The um, in in the last book they have Werewolf by Night and they show a transformation which I've never seen in the books because we see him as like the classic universal horror version of the werewolf. But there was yep. there's the normal Jack Russell, him as the one that we always saw. But the final version is like this full on like you know how the end of the Howling they show the full body transformation. It looked like yeah, that, yeah. and that, in my mind, is the perfect look for a werewolf. Yeah, yeah. It's big and scary and doesn't look like a person. One of my favorite comments about the Wolfman is uh, John Landis uh, says, you know, he's scary, but he kills everyone by strangling them. So why does it matter <laughs> if he's a wolfman? And it's true. It's like, yeah, he's a wolfman, but then he's just strangling people. That's just a man-man could do. There's no, There's no – additional danger due to him being a wolf which is why when you have these these sort of vicious beasts that is really terrifying and actually did you see what we do in the shadows yes yes um i loved the depiction of the werewolves in that because it was really funny how they were like a almost like a um you know like a support group but once they did turn into werewolves they were terrifying in that movie. <laughs> i guess they're making a spinoff of that just about the werewolves yeah, and they're also doing a TV series of it too, which is cool. The uh, the werebear factor of American Wolf in London always throws me off, even though it's an amazing film. That transformation is, you know, is groundbreaking. But when you actually see the werewolf, you're like, all right, it's okay, but it's yeah, not what it just I thought. Yeah, like a Russian bear. <laughs> I mean, one of my favorite transformations is in um, in a uh, Company of Wolves, the the Neil Jordan movie, yeah. which is with Angela Angela Lansbury in that movie as well. Um, but they actually grow out of the person's mouth. So they like kind of like the snout comes out of the mouth and then the skin just kind of drops off like old clothes. Well, they do that. Uh, they do an homage to that transformation. At least I assume it is in this movie called Late Phases Cycle of the Werewolf. Or not Cycle of the Werewolf, but it's, it's about a werewolf. But um, okay. that's what it is. It's like it's growing underneath the human skin. So you have to tear that off. It's like it's a beast inside the beast so you're not your yeah. your outer skin's not changing the inner is so you have to rip off the human flesh to reveal what's really inside yeah which is like the beast inside uh the beast within did you ever see that movie yeah, god that's a uh, fucking terrible movie I, oh my god that's such oh, a yeah. bad bad the, movie <laughs> the kids uh a, a, a wear cicada <laughs> i can only watch that as the uh joe bob presents version yeah i think that's fair Actually, a lot of movies are only uh, – I can only watch like certain horror movies if they're up-all-night versions or Monster yeah. Vision versions. Yeah, I, uh, I I had this idea once for werehumans, which are basically like these 
creatures that can that bite animals and then the animals turn into like a naked human <laughs> once a month but they don't know like they're stupid like they don't know what the hell the, if you imagine like a dog in a person's brain in a person's body <laughs> like it would just be like what is happening yeah i think uh nick park did a good play on that with the were rabbit but why isn't there isn't other why is it always a wolf why isn't it like a, a, a were chicken <laughs> Well, because, I mean, it, wolves were always thrown in with horror and were terrifying. And especially where you look at where a lot of that gothic horror came out of, that Eastern European, you know, they, there's a lot of wolves. That's true. Um, so just real quickly before we wrap this episode up, the other two characters I want to bring up that um, I thought were really cool in the 70s but you don't see too much of now is Morbius and Brother Voodoo. Yeah. Morbius was a weird one because they brought him back as a hero in the 90s. Um, as like an anti-hero and Morbius was that was actually before the comics code got um, loosened they introduced Morbius and the way they got around it was he was not a supernatural vampire he was uh, a science fiction vampire in that he was a doctor who was trying to cure some sort of blood disease or something like that and became a vampire which is why they called him the living vampire because <laughs> he wasn't a real vampire but was a really cool character. And I always liked those sort of attempts at doing something supernatural through like a scientific means with those characters that Marvel would do. Hmm. Brother Voodoo is uh, Fred Hembeck's favorite character who he used to bring up all the time when he would draw. And he's actually kind of a cool character. He was, he's basically a voodoo um, magician or wizard. And they go to him originally in Tales of Zombie, and he uh, he ends up being the guy who knows how to fight those things. And it's uh, it's a, there's a character in uh, the Constantine universe in DC called I think it's Papa Shango, who's sort of the equivalent of that character as well. The uh, there's an issue in Volume Two of Essential Werewolf by Night that is drawn by Fred Hembeck, and I was shocked because most of what I've seen him actually all all I've seen him before that was the little cartoony stuff, and then I'm seeing like his full on like grown up art. I'm like, holy shit, this is amazing. We need to see more of this. Oh yeah, Fred's a great artist, but it, it just um, you know he he made his bones doing the comedy stuff. I actually have I'm looking at it right now. Um, uh. uh a framed series of horror characters that Fred Hembeck drew for me. And it's the creature from the black lagoon, the Western ghost rider, the werewolf from I was a teenage werewolf, Vampirella and the specter. Nice. And they're all Fred Hembeck versions that uh, I have in this frame that he gave to me. It's they're They're so cool. Yeah. This is a very particular era of horror comics. You know, they're finally unleashed, but it, it seems like it went on forever. But when you look at it, it lasted like the way black exploitation films lasted, just like a big boost, and then all of a sudden just trickled away. And then you just see small reminders and remnants, like homages afterwards. What I what I what I grew up on in the '90s just wasn't the same. It just didn't feel special. It felt um, like grindhouse exploitation versions of horror. Yeah, it was more extreme, and it was you know Marvel did their um, Marvel Knights. Uh, thing where they had like they brought back Johnny Blaze and he was like renegade he looked like Lorenzo Lamas and <laughs> it just wasn't you know it just wasn't quite the same um, one of the things I loved in the 90s though was Epic Comics which was Marvel's sort of adult line um, that started in the mid 80s 
they did um, a Hellraiser anthology, and it was fantastic. Right, and Nightbreed. Um, I forgot about that. Yeah, they did Nightbreed as well that Brett Blevins drew, um, who had worked on the New Mutants previously. And so that stuff was amazing, uh, especially the Hellraiser comic. That Some of the stories in that are just unbelievably good. Which are probably better than the movies, because i got to say, after part three... Oh yeah, I actually don't like anything after the first one. <laughs> I mean, the second one's okay, um, but actually one of the things that ruined Hellraiser for me is when they made it overtly uh, Judeo-Christian and started talking about hell, because the thing that was interesting before that was that these weren't actual demons. They were just like weirdos from some alternate dimension who are so extreme into S&M that they'll actually rip people apart and there's no difference to them between pain and pleasure, which is just bizarre. Yeah, that uh, I remember them... I watched that first Hellraiser and my mom walked in the room. She goes, that is never playing in this house again. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's horrific. Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing that with my parents in the theater, of all things, uh, and that scene where they walk through and Frank's face is kind of ripped apart and, on the ground and they just uh, you know put it together. Um, yeah, that that uh, that shouldn't have been a thing I witnessed. No, I still remember getting into an argument with someone about seeing Hellraiser four or Broken Arrow. I think I won that argument, and I, I think I was correct. So I, even though Broken Arrow is clearly like candy trash, <laughs> I'm glad we went to that one instead of part four of Hellraiser. Although Hellraiser four had some interesting stuff, like Hellraiser four actually mined some of the stuff from the com- from the comic anthology. Um, which was kind of about like the origins of the box and like the different Cenobites other than the ones we've already seen and, and that kind of stuff, you know, the movie was a big mess, which is why it was an Alan Smithy, but um, the, the best elements of it were directly from the comic. I just realized I'm talking about the wrong one. It's five that I hate. Five is the one where he's barely in it, right? It has Craig. Oh uh, yes. That is really bad. From Nightbreed. Uh, Craig. Uh, yeah. Um, Schaefer. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's the one. Uh, Force only that was go a... into space, which I thought was kind of cool. But what, everybody yeah. jokes that horror yeah. franchises die when they go to space. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, yeah, the one with Craig Schaefer was actually an unrelated script that they just threw Pinhead into. Lame. <laughs> so that they could keep the uh, they could keep the license. Yeah. And the, the third one had some cool ideas. Uh, I mean, the fourth one. The third one is, is way too 90s. <laughs> Yeah, when horror died. You remember horror died in the 90s. It's weird as comics oh, yeah. were, were reviving horror movies or horror concepts in, in film that it was just dead as a doornail. Like the best they could offer was Dr. Giggles. You're like, oh, okay, I, I guess we're Dr. done. Dr. Giggles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which was born out of Dark Horse Comics of all things. Yep. And, and you you know, you also had The Mask. Aliens vs. Predator was right out of Dark Horse. That was not – you know, that was all from the Dark Horse comics. And Dark Horse was doing some cool stuff like Terminator versus Robocop and Alien, you know, the Aliens comics, which were really horrific. Um, you had that movie Virus, which was based on a Dark Horse comic. Terrible movie, though. Um, Good comic, though. They did, they revived yeah. the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And The Mask uh, was a much more horrific thing than the movie that came out. Um, you know, and I even like speaking of the thing, the, the Marvel Comics thing, to kind of bring it full circle. I mean, Dark Horse also did Concrete, Paul Chadwick's Concrete, which is essentially a really serious take on the thing. Yeah, that that, that was a very pensive comic as a young man. I was like, I don't get it because <laughs> I had ADD. And... Oh, it's very existential. Yeah. yeah, it's very much like what you know, contemplating your your you know the 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 prison your body is. The one that I was fascinated by, and I still find it really interesting. I don't know if it counts as a horror comic though. Was Dark Horse was doing Grendel. Yeah. 
Grendel was great. Matt Wagner's Grendel, mm-hmm. which is sort of like um, if you had Batman really just lean into the raw ghoul stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's very similar to Moon Knight in a lot of ways. Um, I also really, really loved Vertigo was doing um, Sandman Mystery Theater, which was the Golden Age Sandman, but in this sort of um, noirish sort of detective world. That was really cool. Yeah, I just picked up volume three of that, and um, I yep, till, still too immature to enjoy those. <laughs> Yeah, or even like if you look at Denny O'Neill's uh, question series that he did in the 80s. I mean, that was sort of a dark noir horror comic as well. It was like a detective comic. Yeah, huge fan of the question. I was reading the question in the shadow not that long ago because, you know, the shadow revival that DC did. And they're both just fascinating. Yeah, and Denny O'Neill worked on on some of that as well. Um, So, yeah, I, I love that stuff. All right. Well, thank you for joining me on this episode. One final question. Captions or no yes. captions on the front of comic books? Bad idea, good idea. Captions? You mean like like in this issue? No, like that kind of stuff. When the characters would literally talk on the front, because this is like a plague during the Werewolf by Night covers, is that the killer oh, would like yeah. be above the werewolf, be like, "I'm gonna kill you now," you know. <laughs> yes, I'll kill you, and you'll die forever this time, and I'll be the one to do it, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean. I think it's less striking, but uh, I don't have a problem with it. It usually also has nothing to do with the story in the comic. <laughs> it does. It always throws you off. You're like, what? No, that didn't happen. You teased me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You're like, well, did you draw this before and then try to do it after and then you didn't have enough time? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just like, what are we going to do to hook this? You know, because this is before like truly amazing covers. Now it's all about the covers. There's 30 covers for every comic, which I think is a huge waste of money. But back then they had one shot and they're like, well, we got to sell this. And like, well, the covers isn't doing enough. Uh, throw a caption in there. Just make up something that's going to happen. Like, well, that doesn't happen. Who cares? It'll sell. Right. I don't understand what this means. Uh, does this clarify it? No, but it's fine. <laughs> it's like the old Roger Corman movie posters. That wasn't in the movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. Anything you want to pitch before we go? No, I'm good. Just uh, plugging along, doing my thing. Second album <laughs> coming? Uh, I'm thinking about it. I might do one in May. Um, we'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm toying with it. Yeah. It, well, it can't be uh, cheap to make them. I mean, it, it's, it's a big endeavor. Yeah, it's probably about 2500 bucks to record and release a record. I'm going to do it right. Yeah, that, that's more than I thought. These days, I thought, you know, it just, but I guess all that equipment and the person to edit it and then print it and publish it. So, yeah, I mean, I could do it. You could do one super cheap, but yeah, pressing them, doing the release, doing the recording, paying someone to do the art, like just, and yeah, making sure you do it right. It's probably like 2500 bucks, I'd say. Yeah. Well, if you do, the first album's fantastic, and uh, I, I look like forward it. to a, a second one. Thank you so much. All right, everybody. Check us out on Facebook under Retro Rock Entertainment. Check out Ken's podcast, The TV Guidance Counselor. And you want to send us out? What are, yeah. I don't see know. Do you, do you have, <laughs> I don't know. Some people have slogans or catchphrases. I always let Jacob. Catchphrases? Who, <laughs> I don't know. People usually have a certain way of doing it. Do you have one? <laughs> no. I, I, uh, be excellent to each other is usually mine. I mean, that's a pretty good one. Um, yeah, I never because I'm 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 someone who always does the uh, the Irish goodbye as people call it here. What is an Irish um, goodbye? Do you, you hit somebody in the head? <laughs> yeah, you hit it. You never see your kids again. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, it's uh, it's you just leave. Oh, so like you don't say bye to anyone. You just leave, which I always do. Like if I'm at a party or something, I always just leave, and <laughs> I'm gone way before people even notice that I'm gone. 
but my, that's the way to do it. <laughs> if there are people you you waste so much time with the goodbyes. If there are people you like, true, you're gonna see them again. And if there are people you don't like, who cares? A half hour later, you're like I'm still saying goodbyes. Shit. <laughs> yeah, like I've been trying to leave forever. All right, well I guess we're gone. See you, kids. All right, bye. <laughs> everybody welcome to another episode of comics on infinite earth and if you are a follower of uh, retro rock entertainment the main company for all the podcasts you're going to notice that um this is basically a podcast-a-thon i've done five podcasts out of six scheduled for today i'm a little punchy a little hoarse but uh i'm gonna power through this and my <laughs> guest this week and the co-creator of this show is william how's it going william hey there uh very excited for this episode yeah, it's actually, um, we haven't been going as fast as, with the episodes as I thought we would, and most of it's my fault for too distracted. <laughs> we haven't been going as what? Well, you know, it was supposed to be like weekly, you know, more often, and I found out that you had, oh, oh. You had, you had some episodes like sent to me, and I totally forgot about them, so it's been a little <laughs> while since we had an episode. Uh, well, no problem. <laughs> Alright, so this episode we're going to discuss something that is new to me, uh, Swamp Thing, but specifically the first volume of Saga of the Swamp Thing, which is when Alan Moore took over the title. Uh, I have never read Swamp Thing before, I've only ever seen the mm. movies, and that's about it. Mm. Wow. Uh, I don't believe I have seen the movies, but I had, uh, I had read a few of these issues before I, I actually read the whole volume, um... But also I had read some of the later issues, like by, um, trying to think who was writing them, Rick Veitch, I believe. I read oh, okay. quite a few of those. So it was like early 90s. And, uh, yeah. And so he was kind of, he was trying to continue in the same vein, but it, not as good a lot of the time. Um, but weren't the movies terrible? Oh, oh my God. Okay, so here's <laughs> the thing, is that some people say they're purposely campy, I say they're purposely boring as hell. <laughs> Weird note, side, side note here. Uh, I had never seen either one of the movies, but I picked up the volume, or not the volume, sorry, the novelization of Return of the Swamp Thing. I picked it up at the <laughs> library of all places, and inside they had all these pictures of all the monsters, and I couldn't wait to see it, and when I saw it, I was like, that's it? That sucked. Hmm, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, campy, it that amazes me. Uh, the first one's um, so boring. Wes Craven on a $2 million budget trying to create a superhero movie. Oh. Wow. Okay. Well, that's really too bad because, boy, wouldn't you like to see one today, like, by a, a good director with, you know, quality effects and all that? Yeah. I, when um, I read this comic, uh, it's a little more high-minded than what I usually read. Um, I'm a little dumb when it comes to comics, when it comes to really <laughs> literate comics. Alan Moore confuses mm -hmm. me sometimes. I'm like, I just, there's so much talking. There's, there's so much talking and so little action. <laughs> I have ADD people. Uh, yeah, it, whereas um, I, I really get into stuff like this where I, I love it when they're like making, trying to make references to other, other works and um, like a thing Alan Moore does throughout these is like he'll have a theme in that, in that, uh, I want to say episode, no, in that issue, and he will, like, keep hitting home that theme in different ways throughout it. Like, you'll have different characters all kind of ending up in the same place, or, like, you know, in their life or whatever, and, like, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm describing that properly, but 
he he just loves to like um oh boy how do you explain Alan Moore? I'm realizing <laughs> this is know. very difficult. It's so layered. <laughs> it's like he creates it's like he creates puzzles and then like you know makes all the pieces lock into place in surprising ways. I guess is one yeah, way to describe like, it. It's uh, like a labyrinth. You know, sometimes you find your way yeah. out, sometimes you don't. And I find myself uh, stuck in a corner crying, waiting for mommy to come and get me. Um, but yeah, uh, speaking of sitting in a corner crying, like he. He just, um, he does so well at, like, putting Swamp Thing through the ringer, kind of like, uh, who did we discuss before like that? Oh, Born Again, uh, with Daredevil. Yeah, yeah. Um, Frank, yeah, Frank Miller definitely put Daredevil, did I say Frank Daredevil? I, I meant to say Frank Miller, anyway. Uh, he definitely put Daredevil through the ringer in a way we, like, never imagined. Yeah, um, I, I've never read. Did you read any of the original run with Bernie Wrightson and Len? Uh, I'm not gonna mind Len Wein. Len Wein. Yeah, I think it's Wein, but I'm not sure. Um, trying to think. Eh, just a couple issues. Yeah. I feel like and, it's more horror, like '70s. You know, '70s comics started bringing yes. back the monsters, and it seemed like it was more of a horror title than um, mm-hmm. kind of a uh, diving into what it is to be a creature of uh, Earth. You know, and environmental mm-hmm. issues and emotional. He took it in a whole different path in the original run yes okay you're going in the right direction yeah let's get down to the the actual what's happening here um they give him an entirely new origin basically he he used to think he was a human turned into this swamp thing and uh he discovers that's not at all true it, that's kind of a spoiler if i go much further i guess no but, it's it's fine uh, um okay it's old I mean, enough that it doesn't yeah. matter Everybody stop here yeah. if you have not read it. Go find it. Every library seems to have a copy, at least the first volume. Yeah, uh, so in yeah. the original title, it's supposed to be um, a man who, uh, well, it's also in the movie, too, is where he gets caught in the explosion of chemicals. They think he's dead, and he comes back just as an amalgam of man and uh, vegetable. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but yes, he finds out that he is only the vegetable. He's a vegetable with the, a memory of a man and, and trying to be that man even though he has little to nothing to do with him. Yeah, Alec Holland uh, is just, like, remnant in him. Not mm-hmm. He's not Alec Holland transformed. Yeah. So that kind of, like, drives him crazy for a little while. And he's kind of like, well, if I'm just a plant, I, I, I think I'll just go be a plant. And he, <laughs> he just, like, goes and plants, him, plants his roots into the ground and tries to go back to the earth for a little while. Uh but then he gets pulled back again by uh, one of his enemies. Floronic Man? Um, or is that, that, that hasn't happened yet. I can't remember. I'm trying to think. It's either him or Arcane. Actually, I guess it's Floronic Man that first makes him come back because the Floronic Man tries to uh, destroy Earth with, with all of its plants. And it's actually a, um, a brilliant idea. I've never even heard of the Floronic Man outside of just like his name. I don't know anything about his history. Mm. But it seemed like he was kind of a joke villain for like the Justice or some lo- other low-level hero. And all of a sudden, they take mm-hmm. this guy who's like a D-lister and makes him a serious villain. Yeah, yeah, it was really kind of shocking. Uh, yeah, I don't think he had ever been much of anything until this. And uh, then, like, after this, he gets used much better. Like, uh, gets used in, uh, I think, the Batman titles in a very sinister way. And, uh, yeah, this is like his, sort of his comeback or whatever. It's weird that Batman and uh, Swamp Thing would intertwine actually a few more times, and uh, they're so wildly different in their style and their, in their content. <laughs> mm-hmm, definitely. Um, 
But yeah, so he discovers that, uh, so, and he eventually comes back, and uh, not sure where we want to go with this. Like, he goes on this, sort of this odyssey of, um, I'm trying to think if that happens in this volume. I guess in this volume, he doesn't really discover what he is yet, huh? No, for the most part, um, in the most part, it is just the Pharaonic Man storyline, that it ends. Now, you have the further volumes. Mm-hmm. I have not read them, but um, you know what? There's very uh, little time in the world. Where, is it, where does it go? Uh, I will just say that he discovers that he is not just some creature born in the swamp. He is actually Earth's... uh, Oh, I actually got goosebumps from this. That's interesting. He discovers that he is Earth's, uh, like, plant elemental. Okay, Yeah, the the Earth has, like, this protector, this elemental, and um, there have been several throughout history, and they all have to be born the same way. A human has to combine with plants and fire, and that happens to be how he died. Uh, yeah. That's so, a strange yeah. choices, because there's numerous. Is, yeah. is there many, many different Swamp Things? I feel like the can- the series canceled on like a regular basis, and someone else becomes Swamp Thing. Uh, you may be right. I'm not, I'm not sure. I know that it ran for like uh, 170 issues, and then it did restart a few years later. And uh, maybe that was a, a new Swamp Thing. I'm not sure. Well, um, but there were like, try. by the way, there tried to be a new Swamp Thing during Alan Moore's run. And uh, Swamp Thing actually had to kill it because it was like insane. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, the only reason I yeah. bring this up is because I'm looking at the names here of the different Swamp Things. There's Alex Olsen uh, that was introduced in House of Secrets. And Alec Holland, which is one everybody knows. Uh, Albert mm-hmm. Holler, Teff Holland, Alan Hallman, Aaron Hawley. Which mm. I actually know an Aaron Holly. I grew up with a kid named Aaron Holly. I'm starting to wonder if it's a swamp thing the whole time. <laughs> I feel like I need to go look that up. It is so bizarre that the names are all so similar. Yeah, that's that kind of makes, strange. Yeah, that makes it feel to me like they were just rebooting it or something. Of course, we know the very first one was just kind of a tryout. You know, uh, the the very first time they he showed up in House of Mystery. Um, but yeah, that's very weird. Yeah, the, so, uh, the the publication of Swamp Thing is all over the place. It seems like one of those cult titles that really never takes off. It's on volume five right now, mm-hmm. and uh, it looks like it just mm-hmm. recently ended. But it's 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 a cult title. I thought it was a Vertigo title for a while. Am I wrong? Um, you are right. Like like its heyday was when uh, Alan Moore took it over here. It was it was an unloved title. It was it was going nowhere. He took it over. It became extremely hot, and uh, then it did very well quite a while it became a vertigo title like around issue 120 and uh then it continued that way for like five more years and then i i guess it died out um but yeah it's been hard to resurrect it ever since then it's never ran more than like 30 issues since then i think it's weird there's certain titles like that like if you look at power man and iron fist that sucker went for like 125 Mm. issues and then they tried to relaunch it over and over and just wouldn't go. Same thing for, like, uh, Master Kung Fu. 150 issues. Then nobody wants anything <laughs> to do with it. Tomb of Dracula, nothing. Uh, both sides have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aquaman seems to be this one title that goes for about five years, and then everybody loses interest <laughs> for a while. They kill them off. They bring them back. They launch it again for 75 issues. They lop off a hand. There's some characters that have a very particular cult following, but not enough to going as a, a long-run series. Yeah. Um... But a couple other things I want to say are that um, these stories will, I think, definitely scare you. And, uh, and I do want to recommend to, to both you uh, and everybody listening, 
that it is extremely worth it to read the next uh, two or three volumes of this because, like, it only gets better. It, like, just just amazing stuff comes out of this, I have to say. Yeah, I kind of want to go back um, and see if there's a collection. I think uh, DC likes to collect up, like, 25-ish bo- uh, big, uh, big books called mm. Showcase Presents, and I believe that they have the original run, the, the more horror run is what I want to check out first mm. and then see its uh, evolution. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool to see. Uh, because, yeah, he's not... He's, like, intelligent, I believe, in the older stuff, but he's uh, just not terribly introspective. And, uh, of course, he doesn't know what he is, so there's definitely more of a just, ah, I'm a man, kind of like the Hulk, you know? Yeah. I'm this thing, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> kind of stuff. I don't know. Yeah, is that what monsters wonder? What am I supposed to do being a monster? That's what <laughs> yeah, I would. That's like what I'd be like. Book? Now that you're a monster, yeah. what are you, an idiot's guide to being a monster? Rampaging Beast, yeah. Volume One. Uh, I, I wonder <laughs> if him and Swamp Thing or him and uh, Man Thing are ever like, hold on a second. Uh, you stay on your side of the swamp, I'll stay on my side of the swamp. We'll never get into it. <laughs> uh, Want to mention real quick, uh, guys? If you if you read Cerebus, there is an amazing parody of both the Swamp Thing and Man Thing in that. And they get combined into the same creature with two heads for like thirty issues. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm looking <laughs> kind of at some of the more recent evolutions of um, Swamp Thing, and I don't know if you ever read the Brightest Day, Blackest Night uh, mini. Uh, well, actually, it's, it's the Blackest Night was first, then Brightest Day. But it turns out Swamp Thing was um, Swamp Thing thought that he was Necron, which is like the war uh, warlord of the underworld. He can grant all these special powers to people. He's kind of like Satan. Uh, hmm. But then he goes on this rampage, destroying Star, Star City, and uh, it takes like a ton of the heroes. Hawkman, Firestorm, Manhunter, uh, or Martian Manhunter, I should say, Aquaman, and Deadman to stop him. And uh, by the time that they're done, I, they had to reconstruct his body, and they put Alec Holland's mind back into Swamp Thing, which brings it back oh. to where we were reading it. Oh, that is weird. Okay. Uh, so then he's literally... He- He's literally what he thought he originally was. I'd have to read it to um, make sure that's right, because sure, I'm sure somebody out there is like, no, 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 you're not getting it at all. Yeah, <laughs> They'll be like, no, he's really just a hol- the elemental that, that has his hologram of his mind on its head or something. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Anyway. <laughs> Did you ever watch the TV <laughs> show that was on USA? Uh, yes, I watched some of it. It seemed like it was halfway decent. Yeah, it was but, on for years. I feel yeah. like it was more like Alan Moore because it was more pensive and action-oriented. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, since I started reading these again, I feel like I, I need to go back and watch that because I think it kind of kind of had the right tone, so that'd be that'd be good. Yeah, skip the, skip the movies, but uh, his character is going to be added to Justice League Dark, which I think the animated movie is just about to be released as of this recording, and... Mm. Uh, the live-action film is about to go into production, like Dead Man and, I think, Constantine Swamp Thing and stuff like that. Oh, awesome. I wasn't sure if they were really going to pull the trigger on that. Well, so, Guillermo del Toro great. walked away, which that dude seems to do that a lot. Mm. I keep thinking that he's attached to a project, and all of a sudden he turned around, and he's like, he, w- he quit, he went on to something else, and the project's in limbo. And it drives me nuts. But it's the guy who did um, Swingers and Go, uh, Born Identity, Miss Smith. Mm. Uh, what the hell's his name? I don't remember. But I almost wonder if uh, Del Toro is people like him are almost. It almost sounds like he could be like a hype man for a project. Like, yeah. you know, to get a lot more publicity, it's gonna be Del Toro. Oh no, sorry, couldn't couldn't get him. 
Well, I almost wonder, like him and John Woo had this 10 years ago where they attached themselves to projects just to get them going, and then they collect like a, a developer and then a producer because they were attached to the project for a while, which is huge. You get like $250,000 for just being attached to a project for like two months. Wow. Okay, so I was, I was kind of right. They do do that. Yeah. Wow. Uh, okay. What's it? Um, oh, there's some movie. Uh, Minority Report. Uh, the guy who did Twister and Speed, uh, mm. uh, he was attached to do that movie, and then he quit about a month into production, but yet he still gets producer credit in it portion of the box office as technically he got the project producer it, it's a big scam in hollywood Oof. in my opinion wow yeah that's that's kind of crazy all right mm. so i have it here it's doug lyman i couldn't remember his... ah wait and, he's the guy who did speed uh no doug lyman is the one that did go and swingers oh, okay. and born identity he is the one now directing yeah. justice league dark and it looks like the heroes they may not be the same as the comic book uh, but the heroes mm -hmm. that we have in the comic book are Constant, Madam Xanadu, Dead Man, Zatanna, Raven, Frankenstein, Swamp Thing. Frankenstein? Wow. I know, right? Okay. That, that, that's probably going to get dumb. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I, I think the person I'm missing here, I'm pretty sure Etrigan, the demon, is... Oh, yeah. Yeah, he'd be awesome. Oh, here's uh, the full he list. Yeah. We have also Phantom Stranger, Shade, the Chain Man, and uh, Zuriel. Mm. Zuriel. Who's that? Uh, I'm pretty sure he was part of the Damn. Justice League for a while. He was like a guardian angel who had a sword and he got killed. Oh. But yeah, so how do you kill an angel? Do they just go back and be an angel Weird. again? I don't know. Wait. Oh, okay. Is this A-Z-R-A-E-L? That guy? Oh, no, no. You're As thinking, like you're Asriel? Thinking, no, no. You're thinking the oh, Batman. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is something <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was just in an arc of Grant Morrison's Justice League. I could be wrong. Um, oh. There was an episode where we said something that was wrong and some dude lost his name. I was like, all right, sorry. <laughs> so I got to keep saying, I think. And I, you know, maybe. Um, so I think oh that gosh. brings us to the end of this episode. A little shorter than usual. Um, not a whole lot to talk about, but uh, you got me into Swamp Thing. I got to check this out. <laughs> Good. Yes. Awesome. Um... Yeah, I know we're not giving a lot of details, but uh, the, the, the details are in the stories. I mean, these are these are amazing stories. This like this is one of those comics that stands up as like a literary work or whatever. Um, there's just so much more going on here than superhero bash em ups or whatever. Yeah, so, I feel terrible. Uh, I feel like a lazy minded fool when someone's like, "You gotta read Watchmen the book," and I like I did, and I didn't like it. I like the movie better. <laughs> Well, what about V for Vendetta? That's a pretty easy... No, I was bored. I watched the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. Um, trying to think. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess I liked both of those. I wasn't blown away by V for Vendetta. I love Watchmen, but you got to be into, like, symbolism and stuff like that. Like, they had that whole parallel black barge, and uh, I almost enjoyed that more than the rest of the graphic novel. So, I don't know. Yeah, I really, really <laughs> enjoyed it. It's in my top ten. Um... Mm -hmm. So that is it for us here. Check us out on Facebook. Now, where do you find Comics on Infinite Earths podcast? Well, it's under the Back in Tunes page. I figured comic books and cartoons go well together, but I think for C2, um, we will probably focus on getting a page set up for it. Maybe sharing some comic books. Mm -hmm. I say Season 2 just because um, we're kind of getting to the time of the year where I'm, I don't have any time to do the episodes, and it rains like crazy, so it's hard to record. So we're kind of winding it down. We may have a few episodes left, and then we'll come back in the spring. So you'll get reruns for a while. If the weather's good, we'll pop in with it here and there. But um, yeah, I figure what we got. We got maybe one or two more episodes, and then we'll just uh, get ready for April. Okay. Uh, let me ask this: Do you know if someone were to search for "Comics on Infinite Earths" like on iTunes, do you think this would come up, or would they have to look for Retro Rocket Entertainment? Well, let me see. 
Uh, every time you search up anything on the internet, it always comes up as porn. So <laughs> <laughs> true. Let me It'll find out right now. Be... Let's see what happens. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it might be wieners here. Wieners and balls. Um, might just be like alternate dimension cosplay or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as we sit here quietly, I'll sing you a song. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the internet sucks here. I don't know. It's not coming oh. up. Uh, yeah, I'll do that experiment. And, all uh, right, we'll find out. If not, you know, you can look under Retro Rocket Entertainment. Retro Rocket Entertainment is like the yeah. big umbrella for all the podcasts that we do. You can find everything that'll be there, all the episodes on every podcast. Uh, no, when I typed mm-hmm. in comics on Infinite Earth, it just gave me Crisis on Infinite Earth and said, you misspelled, <laughs> you dummy. <laughs> Funny. Yeah, so I'm thinking okay. next spring uh, when we relaunch, like, full-on relaunch with more episodes, we will get around to making a page. Because uh, I got to tell you, we got episodes that are doing better than I really expected. Um, usually the first season, as people get to know us, it's, like, drags. Barely any dials and downloads. No one com- uh, comments. We've been doing a great job. And I have to thank you for helping getting the, the show up and running and um doing a lot of the episodes to pad the schedule because there's been times when I'm not available and you've done like probably half on your side so thank you oh you're very welcome uh like I've trolled off a little bit but yeah I'm glad to at least get several in there yeah and uh Cameron was a great guest and your wife is uh, (laughs) I appreciate that and we'll uh see you guys probably uh in a few months all right sounds good oh uh if you like it check out my podcast which is comics I read to you and uh it's pretty pretty weird and kind of funny (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and a, a couple of our episodes have been crossover, so you kind of get a style of, or get a, a sense of the style that he, uh, me, if I did a show all by myself, I'd be just farting on a show. <laughs> that might be fun. I'm not very, I'm not very creative, I, and I'm really gassy. <laughs> all right, so that is episode five for the day, get down, oh boy, my next guest when it comes to episode six, I'm just like, <laughs> all right, uh, uh-huh. send us out. <laughs> All right, see you later, guys. Read some comic books.